Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. Today I'm talking about Episode 15, I Was Made to Love You, where a super strong, very pretty, and slightly homicidal robot comes to Sunnydale. Along with the breakdown of the episode, I'll talk about whether or not I Was Made to Love You conveys the theme that the writers thought it did, an emotional main plot that's well-structured, but an action plot that falters, when and why I Was Made to Love You misleads viewers and the effect that has, and whether Buffy's character flaws of self-involvement and distance feel authentic or fit the theme. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. There will be no spoilers except at the end of the episode to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. I Was Made to Love You aired the first time on February 20, 2001. It was directed by James A. Kotner and written by Jane Espenson, and the DVD edition has commentary from Jane Espenson, and I'll be sharing highlights of that throughout because it gives such great insight into what the creators were thinking about this episode. It starts with conflict. The camera closes up on Buffy as she punches what we think is a punching bag. This opening conflict relates directly to the main plot here because Buffy exclaims over Spike falling for her. She is not just appalled, she feels that it is a reflection on her. She says, Spike wants me. How obscene is that? Giles tells her she's not responsible, but she says something about Spike made him say, quote, that's the one for me, end quote. On the DVD, Jane Espenson said they set up the theme of the episode in the teaser and that it's about how Buffy views relationships with men, both future and past, and that they knew that an episode about a robot built to love someone would have to be about relationships. She said Buffy worries about attracting bad guys and what that says about her and why she can't make it work with a good guy, meaning Riley. And she said that parts of Warren building a robot make Buffy think about how she treated Riley. Espenson also commented on how overall they gave Buffy, though she's the hero, the trait of being self-involved and kind of standoffish and distant. We get a visual hint of the connection to Riley because the punching and kicking by Buffy of a punching bag calls back to exactly what she did when she found Riley with the vampire. She was punching a punching bag when he came to see her. But now the camera pans back and we see that she was actually kicking and punching Xander, who's wearing a giant puffy suit. Buffy helps him lean against a wall because he's not bendy enough to sit in that suit. Buffy then rants about slapping around and torturing guys. And sure, it scares away the nice ones, but every now and then you get a prince like Spike who likes it. And Xander tells her the problem is not you. Don't do this to yourself, please. Buffy says she just wants to know there's going to be, quote, another good one, end quote, one that she won't chase away or terrify with her, quote, alarming strength and remarkable self-involvement, end quote. This is the first point where I have trouble with this. I have come to agree after talking with Roberta Lip of the Coined It podcast that her dealing with her grief over what was happening to her mother and Joyce's illness and shutting Riley out of that does show something about Buffy's lack of feeling for Riley. However, I don't think that shows Buffy self-involved. I think it shows that she wasn't that connected to Riley and wasn't that in love with him or in love with him at all. Xander now says he doesn't think she's like that. Thank you, Xander, for agreeing with me. 
Espenson commented that the episode further is about Buffy realizing she doesn't have to find the next guy. I find this contradictory with the idea that Buffy is in fact self-involved and Riley is a good guy that she lost out on. Those things, sure, they can exist together for sure that Buffy needs to learn. She doesn't just need to find another guy, but you could also believe Riley was a good guy for her. But I do think to put that in the same episode suggests that the problem is Buffy and Buffy does need to find a new guy so that she can do things differently and be less self-involved. Buffy now goes on to say she could change, spend less time slaying, work harder at the relationship, laugh at the guy's jokes, and she says that men like the joke laughing at, right? And Xander says, or maybe you could just be Buffy. He'll see your amazing heart and he'll fall in love with you. And Buffy touched, hugs him. And Xander says, this is the one day you choose to hug me. Xander also points out that maybe she hasn't found a great relationship on the Hellmouth because it's a Hellmouth. Xander goes on, seems to me it's a pretty terrible place to try to build anything, which is a nice segue to the next scene. At two minutes, 46 seconds in, a pretty young woman with a cheerful expression wearing a flowered dress gets out of a car at night. She thanks the driver and he asks her what she's looking for in Sunnydale and she says, true love. And on the DVD, Espenson commented that in this first shot of April, she looks like she's going to be a victim. She's getting out in this strange town to her at night looking for true love. And we've just established this is not the place to do it. So this is the first of the misleads. And we go to credits at 3 minutes 16 seconds in. We'll come back at 4 minutes 13 seconds, which is right about 10% through the episode. Typically, you will see a story spark or inciting incident right around 10% of any story. Here it has happened earlier and if you're going to move that story spark around earlier is always better because there is nothing wrong with getting your story rolling right away. And here we've got two stories, Buffy's emotional arc which began in that first scene when she struggles with what does this say about her? What does she need to do differently? And the action plot, the robot plot, begins with April coming to town. So we have got two story sparks already. At the 10% mark, Joyce is in the living room. She twirls around. She too is wearing a pretty dress. It's darker than April's, but also has flowers on and it's backless, and she is getting ready for a date. Dawn and Buffy keep telling her to spin around again before they can give their opinion of the dress, and Joyce finally realizes they're messing with her. Joyce is worried the dress looks too momish, and Dawn says, Oh, that was why I liked it. Buffy thinks they're both crazy. It's sexy. Joyce asks the time. It is only 4.27 in the afternoon, and Buffy tells her she has plenty of time. Quote, vast acres of time in which you could plant crops. End quote. And here, Jane Espenson comments on something that I've been talking about a lot lately, which is humor. And she says, this line is not a hard joke like a sitcom where you get laughs, but instead is a whimsical phrasing, a funny turn of phrase, or an odd way of seeing the world. And this is what I love so much, or one of many things I love so much in the dialogue on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that is very much the type of humor I enjoy. Dawn and Buffy grilled Joyce about her date. She says she met him at the gallery the first day back after she was sick, which is a good reminder to viewers that Joyce was very ill for some time. She looks very happy when she says they're going to dinner and then a movie, but then she starts wondering, should it be the other way around so they have something to talk about? Next, she asks Buffy's advice about the restaurant. But Buffy declines, saying, oh no, love Dr. Buffy is not in. I am not qualified to give dating advice. I had exactly two boyfriends, and they both left, really left, left town left. 
And on the DVD, Jane Espenson commented that this again hits the theme of Buffy's views on relationships. And at the beginning, Buffy wants to fix all her mistakes and thinks to do it, she has to find the next man. Joyce tells Buffy she just had some bad luck. Dawn suggests that since Buffy's going to the spring break party tonight, maybe she'll meet someone. Joyce, nervous, asks for the time again and also if they're sure the dress is okay. Dawn jokingly tells her to spin again real fast. At 6 minutes 47 seconds in, Tara and Anya walk across a park-like area. Tara says Willow's really good with the computer stuff and asks if Anya understands it. Anya confides she at first found it confusing. After all, she's 1,100 years old. But she got to like it. Tara doesn't like the bad spelling online, which I really love about Tara. Anya explains that she took the money she made at the Magic Box and tripled it through online trading. And Tara says tripled, like first money, then money, money, money. There is more computer and machine referencing, which we get throughout the conversation as April approaches. So first we had Xander talking about things being built on the Hellmouth after they've been discussing relationships. Now Willow and Tara talk about computers and online trading. So we'll see a lot of these conversations that reference machines and computers in the episode right around when April shows up. And now she approaches them and says, I'm looking for Warren. Do you know where Warren is? And if you do, could you tell me? They tell her they don't know Warren. She then asks a guy sitting on a bench who also does know. At 7 minutes 59 seconds, we cut to the college spring break dance. Buffy and Xander dance. He asks her if she's having a good time. She says she is and goes on, dancing with you is way better than trying to hook up with some good-looking guy. And on the DVD, Jane Espenson said that was a Joss Whedon line. And I can't help but wonder, since he says he identifies most with Xander, whether some friend who was a girl said that to him at some point. Anya tells Tara as she watches them that she let Xander dance with Buffy and she expects much good karma any moment now as a reward. Buffy sees Ben across the room. She heads his way but pauses near a pillar, then acts surprised when he notices her. He makes a sort of joke about his non-medical pants, and Buffy doesn't laugh, and Ben says, man, that sounded so funny in my head. Now Buffy laughs very hard, too hard, and tells him it was very, very funny in her head, too. Ben asks if she's having a good time and Buffy stops abruptly in the middle of saying yes and telling him her friends are there and says not that it's all about me are you enjoying yourself he says he is now she asks if he wants to dance Ben looks a little uncomfortable but says yes and he'll be right back he's going to dump out his drink so this is another mislead Jane Espenson commented on this because now we think that Ben will be the next guy Buffy hooks up with And because of that, Jane Espenson said that they needed to make him very charming because otherwise the audience who knows that he is glory will be harsh with Buffy for falling for him. We cut to Anya, who is admiring the, quote, tiny grain patties, end quote, in the checks mix, and she's very impressed by whoever wove them so carefully. Xander explains that a machine creates them. Anne Wright then sees April across the room and asks who she is. April is calling out for Warren. Anya tells him about the earlier meeting with April and comments that April speaks with a strange evenness and selects her words too precisely. Xander tells her some guys like that. And on the DVD, Jane Aspenson said this was their way of dealing with Anya talking a little bit like a robot and then you introduce a robot character and so they 
used that and got the irony of Anya finding April's way of speaking odd. I love this because it illustrates a way to handle it if you have introduced some elements that you can't change in your story, but now something needs to come in that may seem repetitive by calling it out and making the audience in some ways part of the joke or part of the fun of it, you can make that work. We get a quick cut to a guy we find out later is Warren, and he tells his girlfriend Katrina that they need to go. April approaches our friends and asks about Warren. And April says that Warren is looking for her because he lost her. Willow says there's something strange about April. She talks funny, and Anya says some men find that appealing. Tara hopes April will find Warren, and Xander guesses a girl who looks like that will not be lonely for long. And I feel like this underscores the Buffy doesn't have a boyfriend point, the idea that any pretty girl must quickly have a boyfriend. Willow agrees, definitely not, and Tara gives Willow a look over how much Willow clearly is attracted to April, or at least over Willow showing so obviously that she's attracted to April. At 12 minutes, six seconds in, while Ben has gone to spill out his drink, Spike asks Buffy, is she trolling for her next ex? She points out that she told him to leave town, but he says it's a free country and a free party. He's staying. She tells him get away from her. He stalks off just as Ben returns and asks if that guy was bothering her. He is relieved, though, that he doesn't have to throw threatened to do anything inappropriately violent. Spike watches Ben and Buffy joking around, clearly jealous. I see this as the first major plot turn, what I think of as the one quarter twist in the emotional arc for Buffy. It is sort of a Buffy versus Buffy plot, just as last time we had a Spike versus Spike subplot. The twist comes in this very next scene, and it's from outside of Buffy because it is Ben giving Buffy his phone number. It spins the story in a new direction. Will Buffy now have a date with Ben? Will he become the next man? And it raises the stakes because now Buffy is seemingly getting what she wanted, but we'll see in a second that it spooks her a bit. Ben tells her he wanted to give her the phone number before she saw him dance, and he suggests they have coffee sometime, which is a nice callback to the Angel and Buffy exchange, where Buffy suggested coffee, Angel saw it as a date, which is what she was suggesting, and they had a big fight, but eventually started their relationship. Buffy, probably thinking of that, now goes into babbling about what might happen because of her bad history with men and finishes with, well, it all ends with with you leaving town and you just got here and everything. On the DVD, Jane Espenson notes this, that when Buffy gets a date, she has a moment of sheer panic. And Espenson also said that Ben's persistence in the face of that can be seen as genuine interest or a little predatory. And Ben says apparently they'd be risking a tragic chain reaction if they had coffee, but he thinks it might be worth it. Spike, not happy, notices April. She tells him she's looking for her boyfriend. He whispers something in her ear, and at 14 minutes, 42 seconds in, April says, that would be wrong. You are not my boyfriend, and throws Spike through the window. So I see that as the first major plot turn in the action plot. It comes from outside Buffy. It is all April and Spike. And it takes the story in a new direction and raises the stakes. Because had this not happened, April might have finished asking for Warren at the party, left, gone off to look for him, and Buffy might never have known about April, would never have seen any destruction April caused. So this moment puts Buffy and April on a collision course and means that April will be a danger to Buffy. When we come back from the commercial, 
April tells Spike through the broken window that she has a boyfriend already and Spike cannot say those things to her, that Warren is her boyfriend. And Spike says, you know what? My bleeding sympathy is to Warren. Buffy goes to talk to April, pausing in the middle to express joy about her throwing Spike through the window. April, though, only wants to talk about her boyfriend. She has to find him. And Buffy, who maybe is also talking to herself, says, okay, I think you need to stop looking for your boyfriend. April's not having it, and she throws Buffy against a wall. Buffy is cradling her arm as April looks down at her and apologizes. She says, if I hurt you just now, I am sorry. I hope that your boyfriend will take good care of you. And now Buffy looks very sad, again hitting that theme of Buffy has no boyfriend. At 15 minutes 58 seconds in, the gang talks at the magic box. Buffy says she's sick of super strong little women who aren't her. And she kind of thinks April is a, and Tara says, robot. And everyone else agrees. And Jane Espenson says they thought it would be fun to have everyone recognize right away that April's a robot. And that that, in fact, was what sparked the idea for the episode, that there would be this beautiful woman that everyone knew was a robot. They all figure out that Warren built her, but no one knows who Warren is. Willow says she'll get a list of Sunnydale University students, and they agree they can start contacting all the Warrens tomorrow. It's not a code red, and Buffy needs to go rescue Giles, who is at the Summers house with Dawn while Joyce is on her date. At 17 minutes, 23 seconds in, Giles tells Buffy that he and Dawn listen to, quote, aggressively cheerful music sung by people chosen only for their ability to dance, end quote, ate cookie dough and talked about boys. Buffy tells him about the robot throwing Spike through the window, which she admits was kind of fun, and will fill him in on the rest in the morning unless he wants to stay. But right then, Joyce returns, very happy, so Buffy says, and listen to my mom talk about boys. And Giles responds, right, must go. But he wishes Joyce a good night. There's a very nice moment between them. And when he's gone, Buffy observes that the date looked pretty tame to her. She didn't notice the guy kissing Joyce goodnight. But Joyce teases Buffy by saying she forgot her bra in the car and then in the restaurant. And Jane Espenson commented on how much fun this was to write because usually Joyce doesn't get to be playful and fun. Instead, she mostly plays the concerned mom. Another listener comment from Ron Helf on YouTube, who we heard from a bit last time, and this time he is talking about iRobot Eugene, and I love this chance to revisit some of those early episodes, and I'm going to give you highlights of what he said. I like films and TV programs of ideas, which I suppose is why I have always liked this episode. We are now seeing the impact of everyday computer technology on us. We are, for example, seeing increasing suicides that seem to be the result of, at least in part, fear of being left out. Moloch Malcolm seems to be a metaphor for a cult leader who has an intense socializing impact on his acolytes like Fritz, which is why I think we have the prologue. Dave seems to be a betwixt and between figure of the episode. As teacher's pet was a Xander sode, this seems to be a willow sode. I always enjoy episodes centered around the gang. Finally, I love Giles' monologue about the smell of books. Do you remember when you could also feel the text? in books. A couple things in response to this. First, thank you so much, Ron, for your comments. And I think that the ones I highlighted bring out the strengths of season one. The episodes are both fun, they're more self-contained, but they also do so much to set up the Buffyverse, including, as Ron points out, how much we learn about our ensemble cast. We have Teacher's Pet, where we get inside Xander's head. We have iRobot Eugene that focuses on Willow and her experience of high school, her inner fears and vulnerabilities, and the growing friendship between Willow and Buffy. And then that monologue about the smell of books, I know I commented on it in the episode. I love that smell every year. I have a table 
at the uh, Printer's Row Lit Fest, which used to be called the Book Fair. It's the largest outdoor book fair in the Midwest in the United States. And I used to go long before I was an author with, with books to sell. I attended and I loved that smell of paper and kind of musty books. And I'm sad because you don't get that at the fair so much anymore because the tents that used to have the old books, most of those stores either have gone out of business or they don't bring their books to the book fair anymore. And Ron's comment on when you could feel the text of books, I had completely forgotten that as a kid in high school, when I would get a book that I had been waiting for, a a favorite by an author I love that had just come out, I remember opening the book and putting my fingers on the print and feeling it back when everything was done on printing presses. So thank you so much, Ron, for bringing that back. And if you you would like to comment on Buffy and the Art of Story or connect with me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa M. Lilly, L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, or on the website at lisalilly.com slash Buffy. On YouTube, you can find that link through lisalilly.com slash YouTube, or on the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. At 18 minutes, 55 seconds, April knocks on doors in the middle of the night asking for Warren, an irate neighbor slams the door in her face. She just goes on to the next house. In the next scene, the gang tells Giles about the robot. Willow says she found no one named Warren at Sunnydale University, but there is a Warren at a nearby school, Warren Mears, and he went to Sunnydale High with them briefly. She's got an address for his parents, and he's probably home for spring break. Buffy is ready to go see him, but Giles asks, shouldn't they figure out first why he built April? The others look around awkwardly and tell Tara says, uh, don't you think she's just, and Willow says, yeah, she's just sort of a, and Xander says, she's a sex bot. I mean, what guy doesn't dream about that? He goes on to wax eloquent about having a girl who does anything for you while the others all give him looks. Xander wishes Oz was there. He wouldn't say anything, but he'd get it. I am not as sure Xander is that Oz would be on his side. Anya says, why would anyone do that if he could have a real live person? And Willow says, maybe he couldn't. Buffy tells them Warren's a sleaze, don't make excuses for him. Willow argues she's not, but people get lonely and maybe having someone around, even someone you made up, might make it easier. And Tara says, I mean, everyone wants a nice, normal person to, you know, share with, but this guy, if he couldn't find that, I guess it's kind of sad. This highlights why I am not sure the episode says what Jane Espenson thinks that it does, because she will say multiple times, this is about Buffy learning the lesson that she doesn't have to just go find the next guy, and that she has a good life of her own. And the problem with that is these are our good characters, Tara and Willow. Tara especially quite often expresses the most compassionate and loving approach to people. She's what I see as the most pure of heart. And she is saying, if you can't find a romantic partner, that's really sad and there's something wrong with you. And Willow is talking about basically, well, if you don't have that one partner, it's so lonely, maybe just making someone up makes that terrible burden easier. So we have our much-loved characters expressing the view that if you can't find someone to be in a couple with, there's something badly wrong with you. Now, this is contrary to what the show has otherwise showed us. Nothing suggests that Giles and Joyce are um, sad, empty, lonely people because most of the time we don't see them in relationships. But within this episode of 
about relationships, we have Tara and Willow endorsing this theme of you have to be part of a couple or you are deficient in some way. So now we're at 21 minutes, 42 seconds in. Buffy looks down, clearly very sad as Tara says that line about a guy who doesn't find anyone. And in the next scene, she's alone. She gives a heavy sigh and looks at Ben's number. Buffy then picks up the phone, hangs it up, and finally calls Ben. So this is at the midpoint of the episode, and I see it as a major commitment by Buffy. And that's what typically we see is the protagonist making a major commitment, really going all in on the quest, or suffering a major reversal, or both. And here I think there is something of a major reversal as well, because Buffy hears these friends confirming for her, at least seemingly confirming for her that yes, there's something very wrong with her that she doesn't have a boyfriend. Ben picks up the phone. He is just turned from glory into himself, so he sounds out of breath and he's sweating, but he's happy Buffy called and they make plans to meet for coffee the following evening. At 22 minutes 57 seconds in, Warren packs his things and urges Katrina to hurry up and do the same. They need to get out of town. Katrina doesn't understand why they just got to his mom's house. Aren't they even going to say goodbye to her? This is a nice moment to foreshadow that Warren's mom can let someone into this house, specifically Spike. Warren just avoids Katrina's questions, which doesn't make her happy, and she's even less happy when Buffy turns up at the door and says she's there to talk, and Warren says, is this about her? And Katrina says, her who? She wants to know what's going on. Warren tells her, go wait in the kitchen. This is important. And Katrina says, and I'm not. He tells her to shut up, and she storms out, not surprisingly. This could be a sort of midpoint in our action robot plot. The fact that Buffy had such a strong reversal and commitment at the midpoint does support the idea that the main plot here is her emotional arc. And we'll see with the action plot, the way its plot turns happen, it probably is a subplot. Here, this is a kind of reversal for Warren, though I'm not sure if he's meant to be the protagonist in that plot or if April is meant to be the protagonist. But either way, Buffy coming to the door is a reversal for both of them. For April, because Buffy will ultimately help Warren evade her, and Warren, because now he has to deal with April. He can't just run away. Buffy says, my name is Buffy Summers. We were at Sunnydale High together. Do you know who I am? And Warren says he does. So Jane Espenson pointed out that this was a good way to avoid a long explanation from Buffy of what a slayer is and why Warren should listen to her and how she can help him. And that is also uh, a terrific thing to think about if you have a situation that would require one of your characters to tell the other something the audience already knows about, you can perhaps adjust something minor and avoid the need for that. So early in the episode, we seeded the idea that Warren went to Sunnydale High. Now Buffy reminds him of that, tells him her name, and that's enough. Because we know a lot of Sunnydale High students eventually did know who Buffy was. They gave her that class protector award after all. Warren wants to know if April hurt anyone, and Buffy says no, at least no one important, referring to Spike. Warren tells her she needs to know something about April. And this scene is such a great example of mansplaining because Buffy keeps telling him she knows. He keeps insisting, no, this is really big. She doesn't know. She's telling him she does. He says she couldn't possibly know this. And the camera zooms in and there's dramatic music. And Warren says, she's a robot. And Buffy says, "Uh uh-huh. And on the DVD, Jane Espenson said it was really fun to treat this as if it were a big reveal, that this was an act break. And normally there is new information there. So they did this big zoom in and the dramatic music. And then the reveal is what Buffy and the audience both already know. So we 
do enjoy that play on the usual story structure. At the same time, it contributes to that feeling of the robot plot just being off. And the first time I watched this episode, I really did not like it that much. I didn't warm to April as a robot. I didn't know what else it might be setting up. And the action plot doesn't move forward the way I expected it to. So while I enjoy that mislead on rewatch, it does contribute to that. And I also think it is why every time I come up to rewatch this episode, my reaction is, oh, okay, it's, it's that April robot episode. And then I end up really enjoying it. In the next scene, Dawn says to Willow at the magic box, a robot? Really? Was it Ted? Because they always said there could have been more than one of him. Which is a nice callback to that episode. And it's a layered callback because Dawn wasn't actually there for that. But of course, she does have the memory of it. Xander tells Dawn that he'll take her to school. And he opens the door of the magic box. And Spike, at 24 minutes, 59 seconds, comes in. He's got a blanket around himself to protect against daylight, but it's not doing too well because he is in flames. He throws the blanket down, stamps out the fire, and asks them all what's going on. They stare at him. Giles tells him he's not welcome. Willow says she's looking for a way to de-invite him from the shop. And Anya asks if they can throw him out the window the way the robot did. And Spike says, robot, that's what she was. I knew something wasn't right. He looks at Dawn and asks, isn't she at least glad to see him? But she tells him stay away from her, clearly angry about the events of Crush. Now Spike sighs, says he was afraid of this, and starts ticking off on his fingers what he thinks or wants them to think he thinks happened. Misrepresentations, misunderstandings, slurs, and allegations. And then he continues that he doesn't know what Buffy told them, but he and Buffy worked together to get rid of Drusilla. And he says maybe it sounded like he expressed some kind of, and Giles shoves Spike against the wall and says, we are not your friends. We are not your way to Buffy. There is no way to Buffy. And he also tells Spike that this thing, get over it. Spike says, I don't know what you mean. And Giles says, yes, you do. Move the hell on. I love this glimpse of Ripper Giles. We cut to April asking four college guys where Warren is. One claims April just missed him and tells her which way to go. And then all four of them laugh after she leaves and the guy admits that he made it up. He doesn't know Warren. At 27 minutes, 34 seconds in, we're back with Buffy and Warren. She is talking about how he couldn't find love. And she says, so naturally you turn to manufacturing. Warren more or less agrees, but he insists April is not a toy. He made her to love him. She cares about what he cares about, wants to be with him, listens to him and supports him and laughs at his jokes. She is not a toy. She's a girlfriend. And this is intercut with April searching for him. Warren continues that he thought he would love April, but he didn't. She's too easy and predictable. She got boring. She was exactly what he wanted, but then he didn't want her. And then he met Katrina who's smart and funny and cool and unpredictable, and he fell in love with her. On the DVD, Jane Espenson talked about how when Warren tells Buffy April was perfect, including that she laughed at his jokes, what Buffy sees is that you can't make a relationship perfect. Warren goes on to tell Buffy that he never told April about being unhappy. He just went out and left her in his dorm room and she ought to have run down her batteries by now. And Buffy says, you left her in your dorm room? And she is upset that Warren didn't tell April so she could try to fix things. And on the DVD, Jane Espenson says that Buffy realizes here when Warren talks about love going wrong, that it relates to her and Riley. And Espenson says Warren's approach was, I wasn't happy with her, but I didn't tell her or give her a chance to work on it. And, quote, that's the mistake Buffy's been agonizing over, unquote. 
So I am unsure what Jane Espenson meant here. I don't know if she's saying that Buffy feels her mistake is that she didn't tell Riley how she felt. She didn't tell Riley that she wasn't in love with him, or at least not as much as she thought she would be or wanted to be, and she didn't give him a chance to fix it. That would make sense because... Like Warren, Buffy thought she wanted someone predictable and safe. She thought she should love Riley, but she didn't. But Buffy is talking about Warren going off and leaving April, and Riley is the one who left Buffy, and he also didn't tell her he was unhappy or give her a chance to fix things. So I'm not quite clear what we are supposed to take from that. Buffy now asks why April hasn't run down. Warren says she must be recharging somehow. And Buffy asks if April's dangerous. And Warren says she's only programmed to love me. And Buffy says then she's dangerous. And Jane Espenson said this was one of the first lines that Joss Whedon had in mind before the episode was written. Buffy wants to know where to find April. And Warren says April's looking for him, so she's probably pretty close. 30 minutes, 6 seconds in, we see that's true because April runs into Katrina and asks Katrina about Warren. Katrina gets very mad. This is another girl looking for Warren. She tells April Warren is her boyfriend. Now April gets angry. She grabs Katrina. She holds her from behind, her arms over Katrina's diaphragm, and squeezes, demanding Katrina tell the truth, and we hear Katrina's rib crack. We cut to Spike, who is throwing the Buffy mannequin parts and his photos and drawings into a box, and we think he's giving up. And Jane Espenson commented that this was another mislead. We think Spike's throwing all this out, and that now he may become a danger to Buffy. We're now reaching where I look for the three-quarter turn, that last major plot turn that should grow out of the midpoint and spin the story in yet another new direction. At 31 minutes, 27 seconds in, Warren and Buffy find April. First, Warren is calling for her. She's not answering, and he tells Buffy April has to answer or it causes feedback, and Buffy tells him how creepy it is that he programmed April to feel pain if she didn't answer Warren. April is holding Katrina off the ground by her neck. Katrina is dead or unconscious when Warren and Buffy reach them, and we go to a commercial break. So in the action plot, I do see that as a major turn because now April has hurt someone other than Spike or possibly killed someone. April tells Warren not to be angry. She's trying very hard to make him happy. Warren tells her let Katrina go, give her to Buffy. Buffy's relieved that Katrina's still breathing, though Katrina hasn't regained consciousness yet. She urges Warren to do the right thing and tell April why he left. Warren starts to do that. He says he made a mistake, which April insists is impossible. He goes on that she's the best, but it's over. He doesn't love her. During his speech, the screen switches to April's internal screen, which shows her programming and her directives, including many things saying how wonderful and amazing Warren is. When Warren says he doesn't love her, combat mode becomes enabled. Now Warren chickens out, and he tells April he doesn't love her because he loves Buffy. Did you know that you can listen to each Buffy and the Art of Story episode the weekend before they are released by becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month? You'll also get bonus episodes, including a breakdown of the pilot episode of Angel, the series, and most recently, an episode about humor in Buffy, where I compare band candy from season two to triangle from season four. And at the $5 level, you'll also get a copy of the book, Buffy and the Art of Story, Season 1, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy. You can join at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily, L-I-S-A. 
M is in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. If you like to support the podcast, but you don't want to do a monthly commitment, especially in these uncertain times, you can make a one-time contribution at buymeacoffee.com slash Lisa M. Lily. As a thank you, you'll get access to the very Buffy holiday bonus episode where I compare all the Buffy holiday episodes and look at what they do and rank them. And that's at buymeacoffee.com slash Lisa M. Lily. At 33 minutes, 26 seconds in, April growls at Buffy. As April and Buffy fight on the playground, Katrina wakes up and she sees April's insides when they're partly exposed and all the electronics and can't believe Warren built a robot girlfriend. Warren says she wasn't just for sex and Katrina tells him to get the hell away from her. He chases after her. Buffy and April keep fighting. It's a great fight scene. They use boards from the seesaw. Buffy grabs onto the top of the swing set and swings forward, kicking April. April is clearly stronger, and eventually she gets Buffy by the neck, says she's going to kill her, but then she becomes tired and confused. She can't hold on anymore, and her battery is finally starting to run down, and at 34 minutes, 46 seconds, she lets go. Somewhere around here, we should have the climax, which is where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. So for the robot action plot, that seems to have been the climax. And this raises another reason this story felt flat to me when I first watched it, though I did warm to it because the next scene is so moving. But here, April just kind of fizzles out. Buffy doesn't prevail in the fight. April runs down and it feels really anticlimactic. In the next scene, Buffy and April sit on the swings together. Buffy asks April if she can cry. Buffy says sometimes that makes her feel better. April responds, crying is blackmail. Good girlfriends don't cry. April tells Buffy she's rechecked everything. She did all of what she was supposed to do. And she says, I'm only supposed to love him. If I can't do that, what am I for? What do I exist for? And she asks why Warren left when she did everything right. And Buffy tells her it's unfair. April thinks that it's getting dark, even though it's not. And she's worried Warren won't find her if he comes back for her. Because maybe Maybe this is a girlfriend test. Buffy assures April she'll wait with her and make sure Warren can find her. Buffy also tells her Warren will see his mistake. He'll say he's sorry. And she claims that Warren told her how proud he was of April, how impressed he was with her, and that he didn't mean to hurt her. April goes through a string of cheery cliches and her words slow more and more as she does, and she ends with, and, and, things are always darkest before, and she freezes. At 37 minutes, 27 seconds in, we get a long shot of her. Her face is frozen, and the breeze blows her hair, and the camera pans back to a long shot of Buffy sitting with April. On the DVD, Jane Espenson said that here, Buffy connects with someone even though it's a robot and stays while April dies. And what does it mean that Buffy connected with a machine, not a human? And again, I'm unsure if Jane Espenson is saying that this shows that Buffy can't connect to humans or emphasize is that standoff and distant aspect of her personality. To me, it shows Buffy is more human. She is able to have sympathy regardless of whether April is a machine or human. I suppose this could go with her self-involvement because a lot of her sympathy comes from her identification with April. Also, you could say it's maybe safer for Buffy to connect with April, who isn't going to be around much longer and who isn't human so there isn't as much emotional peril there so maybe that's what 
uh, Jane Espenson was going for. I'm not sure. I still feel like it says more about Buffy having emotional range. At 37 minutes, 47 seconds in, Xander is fixing the window that April broke. It looks to me like it's night outside, so I'm uncertain of the time frame here. It seems to be soon after she left April. Xander explains what he's doing and he's talking about the window jam and being shimmed to be square and Buffy asks with some skepticism but also joking does he really know what he's talking about and Xander says he really does and I like confident Xander. I always like confident Xander. Jane Espenson noted that she went to the library and went through books on window repair so she could write this scene accurately. So speaking of how things used to be, obviously back then you couldn't just Google window repair or watch a YouTube video and get that information. Buffy talks about how April was crazed. She devoted everything to make one person happy and had no reason to exist anymore when he was gone. And Xander says robots are the strangest people. And Buffy responds, no, people are the strangest people. I mean, look at me obsessing about being with someone. It's like, I don't need a guy right now. I need me. I need to get comfortable being alone with Buffy. And Xander says, well, I'll say this. She's a pretty cool person to be alone with. And Buffy says, thank you. At 39 minutes, 22 seconds in, Buffy calls Ben and leaves a message on his answering machine, so another machine, and tells him she's not going to meet him. She doesn't think this is the best time for her to be drinking coffee. This resolves Buffy's conflict with herself and with society expectations that she needs to find a new boyfriend. So I see this as the climax of the emotional plot. And this too supports the idea that that is the main plot because this is much closer to where you normally would see a climax in an episode. Now we shift to the falling action. That's the part of any story where the writer ties up loose ends, resolves subplots, and at times moves along the season arc. Now, if we see the robot plot as the main plot, this was a very, very long falling action section. And I do think when I saw it the first time, I didn't grasp that the main plot really was Buffy versus Buffy. So that also made the episode feel off to me. At 39 minutes, 44 seconds in, Glory, not Ben, is listening to the answering machine message. Because this is back in the day when you had your answering machine and you, most people had it turned so that if someone called and you were home and either wanted to screen the call because there wasn't call waiting or you just you're washing dishes you don't have your hands for you could hear the message as it played so glory is listening to the message as buffy leaves it and she's confused and a minion explains to her that ben tried to make a date with the slayer and glory now is worried that he is plotting something against her. And Jane Espenson noted that this was a bit of an error because it's inconsistent with a previous episode where Glory wanted Ben to make a date with the Slayer to find out more about Buffy and hopefully find the key. However, I headcanon it that Glory remembers that and she also remembers Ben vociferously rejecting that idea. So now she thinks he's making a date to go behind her back and plot with Buffy. I also love the next line because Glory makes a bit of a face and seems kind of sad and says she turned us down. At 40 minutes, 18 seconds in, Warren talks to Katrina on the phone, still trying to explain himself and apologize, and he ends with, don't hang up. He turns around and spikes there, holding his box, which really frightens Warren. He seems to know Spike's a vampire, but not know about the chip, because he asks how Spike got in. Spike says Warren's mom invited him, and he says he's placing an order. And Warren says he's not making robots anymore, but clearly he's intimidated by Spike, and Spike hands him the box and says, here's your specs. You're going to make her real good for me. 
and we cut. And Jane Espenson said that was meant to be the surprise ending, and that's where the script, as released, ended. Joss then wrote the next scene, and I'm assuming it was done that way so that they could delay any word getting out about this last scene until the last possible moment. At 40 minutes, 56 seconds in, it's a bright, sunny day, and Buffy arrives home. So that's why I mentioned it seeming dark in the last scene, because I don't know if this is supposed to be the same day. Buffy sees a beautiful bouquet of flowers. She reads the card, which says, thank you for a lovely evening. See you soon, question mark. And Jane Aspen noted this was the last mislead because this seems like it's going to be more relationship stories. Buffy says still a couple of guys getting it right. And she calls out for Joyce, calling upstairs, referring to her as flower getting lady. And we see Joyce in the background, but it's a bit blurred. She's lying on the couch. And then she comes into focus as Buffy turns. Joyce is on her back. Her legs are half on and half off the couch. She's motionless and her eyes are open. And Buffy says, Mom, what are you doing? Mom, Mom, Mommy. And we cut to credits. And the reason I mentioned the timing is, was something happening to Joyce while Buffy was sitting with April, so April would not be alone when she powered down. If anyone has thoughts on that, I would love to hear it. Um, That's it for the episode breakdown. There is more in foreshadowing and spoilers, so I hope that you will stick around for that. If you find the story structure I talk about in the podcast helpful and want to apply it to your own writing, you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash your hyphen novel. If you're not staying around for foreshadowing, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for season five, episode 16, The Body, which picks up with a repetition of this exact scene to start the episode. And we are back for foreshadowing and spoilers. On the DVD, Jane Espenson said that in this episode as a whole, Buffy sees the consequences of living for one person. You end up alone anyway, and she realizes she doesn't have to do that, that she's not a robot. She has a full and exciting life as a slayer, and so she decides she doesn't have to get the next new man. And Jane Espenson says this is a lesson Buffy continues to need to learn, and that it looks like Buffy gets it all sorted out in this episode when she doesn't call Ben, but fans at the time did not know she was about to plunge into the very bad Spike relationship. And I found that very interesting. We don't know that is what's coming next, but as I'll talk about more in season six, I don't know that all of the Spike relationship is so bad for Buffy. And certainly, as the relationship develops in season five, we see Spike change for the better, and we see him being there for Buffy and Buffy appreciating it. Also, I'm not so sure you can get from this that Buffy realized she has this full life as a slayer and that she is okay with not getting the next man because in her dialogue, it sounds more like she's saying, hey, I need to spend some time alone and get to know me and feel better. And that still leaves open the idea that she still will have to go out and find the next man and and do better next time. But maybe that's that hint of the fact that she is going to plunge into another relationship. Other things that are foreshadowed, Ben's comment about risking a tragic chain reaction if they go on a date. So much there, given that there is a tragic chain reaction when Buffy calls Ben for help and he turns into Glory and Glory grabs 
dawn. So that is exactly what ends up happening. Another thing on the DVD, Jane Espenson pointed out how Tara seems the most sympathetic to Warren. And it's ironic and horrible because Warren ends up killing her. Also, there is clear foreshadowing and obvious foreshadowing here of the future Warren and Katrina episode, Dead Things. Here, Warren treats Katrina with very little respect. It's not only that he created this robot before he met her that is a problem. We also see the way he talks to Katrina. And that is, I take it back, it is shown by the robot because he creates this robot to supposedly love him and to have sex with the robot. And later in Dead Things, when he uses the cerebral dampener on Katrina, he essentially turns her into a robot. He says he goes to find her because he loves her and wants her back, but he doesn't seem to want the real Katrina. He wants Katrina dressed in a French maid outfit who becomes his sex slave. And all the seeds of that are here in this episode. Giles lying to Spike about not being his friends and that there is no way to Buffy. Jane Espenson noted on the DVD that Buffy sort of makes a liar out of Giles when she gets involved with Spike and she wonders if Giles ever thinks about that moment and that's something that when we get to the end of season six Buffy tells Giles she slept with Spike and she is expecting some judgment and Giles laughs and that's part of why that laugh doesn't work for me because I thought Giles must think about that moment about telling Spike that and well I don't want him to be judgy with Buffy and I don't think that he would be I'm not sure his first thing would be to laugh of course, the spike placing an order tells us the Buffy bot is coming soon. I really love the whole um, Buffy bot episode, and I love every time she appears in the series. We do see Spike and Warren interact in season six when Spike goes to Warren to find out what's wrong with his chip. So I love this early interaction where it does seem Warren knows who Spike is. It's clear Warren doesn't know about the chip and he never will find out exactly what it is it does. So that is all I have for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you again for listening. Come back in two weeks for season five, episode 16, The Body, the most heartbreaking episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer ever. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. You can also comment on the episodes, share them, or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. And you can find book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.